Hello and welcome to yet another very special episode of the Gestalten podcast. My name is Martin Groschard and I am very happy to welcome somebody I have known for a very long time that I've worked quite a bit with over the past few years and uh, who I think has a very interesting story to explain and to tell us. It's uh, Oliver Vogt, uh, Senior Director Design Operations in the Byton Design Studio here in Munich. Welcome, Oliver. Hello, Martin. Good uh, afternoon. Yeah. Uh, hey. Good, yeah. You, Thank you for inviting me. It's, it's the first time you do a podcast, I think. And yes, so exactly. It's, uh, you know, don't be nervous. Everything is okay. <laughs> But we wanted to have this conversation, and I've been asking around at Byton for quite some time that we can we can actually have this conversation because I uh, wanted to have a nice chat with you, and I wanted to share the experience that you've had at Byton with uh, with the audience in particular about how to build a studio because it's something that you know with all these startups happening going back tesla koros byton of course neo uh, all the other ones as well we see it as a very normal thing nowadays that these studios exist but we don't understand fully how what it means to build these studios yeah and building studios on a budget, on a payroll, all these kind of things. Everybody just thinks, you know, it's hiring a few people and that's pretty much it. But uh, before we get to that, a little bit of a background to yourself. You are a uh, full-time graduate. You have worked on uh, the OEM side. You have worked on the supplier side. You have worked as a designer, as a modeler, and uh, of course, manager, design operations. So you have you have had a quite a bit of experience so from that side, have I forgotten anything? Is there anything you would like to share a little bit about yourself? Or is that pretty much a good... That's, I point? think it's a good starting point. Yeah, I think what uh, was quite um, intense was the time at Semcon. Yeah? Eight years in like, profit and loss uh, responsibility, but on the um, service side of the design business. Uh, and um, I think with this experience, I could challenge some things uh, at FMC or the company was uh, first called and then at Byton yeah. um, because we rather always and still have uh, to think um, very service oriented um, and uh, always manage with a quite lean budget mm. uh, and uh, if you like uh, profit and loss responsible like my in my prior job um, this brought some experience uh, uh, which I think could really use in a good manner uh, yeah. in my FMC job yeah so you were one of the very first employees of what is now known at byton back then you mentioned this fmc future mobility corporation which was everybody here in munich was just like well that's kind of a weird name future mobility but it's like the next ev for neo it's like okay placeholder name for that but tell us a little bit how how did you get into byton i mean you know did you start right away was there a transition period for you or what was how how did you start working with with them um well when uh, I, i first heard about um fmc that was like in spring uh, 2016 uh, when also uh, everywhere in the press you could read that ben raja cop had quitted his uh, bmw job mm. and quite early it was known that was uh, he was uh, going to some um, Chinese founded company called FMC. What a generic and um, stupid name! I mm. thought that like Benoit Jacob will stop his career at, at BMW. Why yeah. the heck? So we had all um, experienced the start of the new office, which was the big topic uh, in two years earlier in Munich, uh, when also uh, many people from the scene and especially from BMW moved uh, into into new. So I thought, oh, the same story again. Why? 
Mm. But uh, sooner or later, I found myself in an interview situation yeah. in uh, the house in Munich with Benoit. And um, only a few days uh, later, like we both confirmed uh, that uh, we should uh, you know, do some future together. Yeah. And that was in uh, June 2016. And right away from the beginning in July 2016, I could already start working with Benoit on the on the business strategy of the design department. Because uh, since I was working for Semcon, I could also work as a consultant. Mm. Uh, I had six months of a notification period. So I was then doing like two jobs. At the same time. Selling myself as a consultant to FMC, but um, still overhanding my, my job to my my follower mm. at Semcon. And so there's not a lot of people out there who have been in this position that you were being or like, you know, sitting down with Benoit Jacob. Um, obviously, if you ask the design industry, one of the probably most impressive people in the creative business uh, in general. But how can we imagine this? Like, are you just sitting down with a sheet of paper and, you know, you draw up an organigram and like you put a few numbers next to it? Or how, how do you start a design organization? Pretty much we, uh, we made really a business plan, mm. um, putting um, together all the necessary structure that we thought would be, um, would be uh, necessary, but um, always having in mind um, the funding situation. Uh, because in that time, um, there was only, we were in the seed funding phase of, of FMC um, prior to a round even. Uh, and also, we, we were facing some challenges uh, regarding um, uh, the future structure of the, of the company. Uh, for example, there was an idea to, uh, to have um, the headquarter settled in Shenzhen, mm -hmm. um, the opposite of Hong Kong, which is now Nanjing. Mm -hmm. So we list changed later on. Uh, and we even thought uh, for quite some time to maybe have even the design headquarter uh, in, in Shenzhen. Mm. So it was was quite difficult with uh, with many like unclear um, parameters uh, to deal with regarding our business plan. So how did you start then? I mean, you have all these questions. You don't know what is going to happen, but you know, at that point, Carsten Breitfeld, who was the CEO, came up to you guys and just like, "We need a car. We need to sell something. We need to show something." So. In, in this kind of circumstance, not knowing exactly how much money we have available, where the money is coming from, where do you start? Like, you know, what, what was your approach that you shared with Benoit that you thought was the best, the best way forward? We, our, our strategy was straightforward to, um, to hire like top down, definitely. And this uh, uh, was also confirmed by you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Concept House uh, really consulted us uh, to, to, to set up that structure. And also to fill then all these positions mm. or many of these positions. Yeah, because if you don't have any reputation in the market, forget about like um, uh, recruit on your own. Mm. No, no one will ever come. You need, you need the network. And that was provided by, by Concept House and by you, Martin. So we are still very thankful for that. Huh? Um, and then uh, definitely we wanted to um, let then the uh, directors uh, decide for each um of competence within the design department for their team that my, and that means you have to start with a director level mm -hmm. and then top down you do not need to make too much structure but at least some uh, some core competencies should be first on board and then um, you can fill up later yeah and this is how, how we how we started yeah as soon as we could say yeah most likely the design headquarter will start uh, to be in Munich it was then easier to to go into the interviews with people and 
What what I always I mean you mentioned this and thank you like you know we we I think in in the very early days we had we had a great time we had a lot of exchanges also with Benoit and like you know what is the best way and the best way to handle the hiring process as well. And you mentioned something very interesting which was the it's difficult to get the people. Um, I think a lot of times people think, hey, hey, this is a new Chinese startup and, you know, you, you you throw money at people and they think they come. But it's it's not always that easy. And looking back into it, I think the once you have a bit of traction in the in the entire process and in, in with the people as well, you will be able to get the people that, you know, come to you and like, hey, I'm interested. It sounds cool what you guys are doing. But in the very early stages, I, I do remember very well, it was quite difficult. And of course you want to make sure that the quality is onto a level as well. Yeah. So where, where, where did you think for you personally, you had to leave this OEM idea behind and potentially act a bit more like a supplier to be flexible, to work with your budget? Because I remember we had these conversations very early on. It's like, how much do, do you want to hire? How much do you want to work with, you know, suppliers and all these kind of things to, to adjust the problem that you had with not knowing when which funding round is going to be finished and so on and so on. I mean, I think what was what was quite good for us was the founding team, which consisted of people with um, an impressive track record. And uh, these were quite convincing people standing there as a kind of role model um, as uh, it was 11 founders. Um, that this uh, uh, can be a, a, a trustful relationship for everyone who would hire. Yeah? Um, at that time, in 2016, uh, the company had like uh, really 30, 50 people only. Mm. Yeah? So 11 people of the founding team was really a core team and uh, you could find all the LinkedIn profiles and the, the CV. So um, I think uh, many candidates researched a lot and we uh, were also asked in the interviews a lot of questions um, about uh, about our funding team, about the strategy of the people. And you could really uh, meet, um, for example, Carsten Breitfeld here in mm. Munich uh, and make some ha ha shake hands, yeah. etc. And that built uh, up a lot of trust. It was not some kind of investors whom you do not know and um, who would maybe tell you that later on there will be a management team the management team founded the company mm -hmm. and that helped a lot and then also um, i think that we had a crystal clear path or how to um, build up the organization the job descriptions uh, we um, prepared really in fall 2016 all in detail also like kind of reporting lines and the organization within the design department so uh, people could see that this is um, a meaningful organization mm. and in the same time the challenge was that we are and you mentioned that earlier uh, already had to start to develop also the product mm. and not only think of processes and yeah. um, organizational structure um, and uh Full steam with almost no one there. Mm. Um, we, we started and used also a lot of freelancers yeah. um, to pick up speed. Yeah. Um, but uh, the improvisation level was still uh, quite high. Uh, we worked with some very early early styrofoam models um, to, to to define the genetic design uh, code uh, for for Byton. And um, many of the features that you can see in our MBI production is uh, coming from 2016. Mm -hmm. mm, also, like in the external, also in the interior. Uh, also the idea of our um, 
Shared Experience Display or Byton Stage mm. um, was is rooted in 2016. So how was that? That is an interesting one. Like, you know, when you joined, you had a small team, no matter if they're internal, external, but you had a small team to start off with. And somebody came up with the idea of, let's put a freaking big display in the middle of the interior. I mean, how was that first picked up by the people? And in particular, also by someone like Benoit, you know, you around him as well. Was there genuine enthusiasm about this? Was there, you know, some questions about this as well? Or, you know, were, were people just happy at something different? Because that is a big thing. I mean, when you come up with this kind of, let's say, direction, how, you know, how, how was that in terms of a start? If you can talk about this, that's the... Well, um, of course, uh, it was a bit of a contra um, controversial discussion, um, and not about, uh, only about um, this large display, about many things. Because if you have like very strong uh, founders and also like the first people hiring really um, ex very experienced automotive people with some people with um, a, a general and industrial background, non not specifically automotive, mm -hmm. you have to come to the same page. And everyone, of course, wants to, first of all, uh, see his or hers vision in that product. So to really uh, shrink it uh, down to one, because we had some some general claims like the mobile device on wheels. Yeah, the next mobile device is the Byton, mm -hmm. but that's only a claim. Yeah. So uh, we needed to uh, to fill this vision with really concrete specs. And there were some ideas to um, have this like very large display, maybe in a different constellation. But um, we we very early defined uh, to have something iconic mm. in that way, and th that helped because um, this crystal clear product vision, together with the clear vision how we want to organize ourselves, convinced many candidates to to um, move from uh, very well very good positions mm. uh, uh, into this like adventure, mm. Byton or FMC. Yeah. I mean, you, you were obviously one of the first ones to join into this adventure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what I find interesting, when people listen to this now, and they've listened to the past, like, you know, five, ten minutes, they realize you're still a designer at heart. Like, you know, you come from Fort time studied there, had some, uh, you know, quite well-known students, or like, you know, student mates around you that are now in the industry, have given some really quite higher positions and stuff. But... Um, How do you, as a designer, because I've, I've, I've said this before and I, when I was in pot time for the show, I had a few conversations with people. You seem like a designer who's very organized, who, you know, knows a lot about organization, about administration. So it's almost the complete opposite of what a designer usually is. Like, you know, the creativity is chaos, all these kind of weird things happening everywhere, but nothing is co coordinated. How do you deal with that personally? Do you... Did you just say like, you know, I've moved into a, into something that interests me more, which is the budgeting, which is the organizational structures, and it happens to be in design? Or are you still fundamentally in just like, you know, I'm, I'm still a designer, I just happen to be good at what I do? I mean, at a certain point in your career, you have to decide when you want to like kind of drop the pencil in your professional um, daily business and uh, and start to take care of other things. Huh? Um, for example, if you if you develop from a pure creative designer into a digital designer, which I did, you need to drop also the pencil and really then concentrate um, on the digital side mm -hmm. of the of the form finding, huh? uh, which is. Uh, 
a unique part to the creative process. So it's, it's the hand of the designer, but, um, you should like maybe calm down your own, uh, input and ideas, but of course need to have an eye. Huh? Um, when I started at Semcon as a, as a team leader and uh, like small manager with a very, very small and tiny team, which I then built up over the course of time. Um, even after the, the first, uh, two or three years, I, I, I learned already that I, I could not like write offers, discuss all the project management with all the customers, um, find new customers, um, and uh, in the same time also model and be productive mm. uh, in that way, uh, way. You, you just cannot do. So you have to focus on one thing and do that properly. Mm. And uh, the further you come with this development, you can see definitely all the creativity also floating into um, into this part of the design department. Mm. Yeah? For many people who really love drawing the whole day, um, and I still do it, but then in my free time mm. on the weekend, but I do not need to do it like from Monday to Friday. It's It's... It's still a lot of creativity in the business side of the design department. And even maybe many people cannot imagine, but uh, you, you need to be creative uh, to find either solutions for uh, in the service area, which I did before, um, finding new customers, finding ways to still earn money with all the rates going down. Um, uh, but also in the way how you deal all, with all the people and be there for your people. Um, you, you, need to, you need a lot of emotion. Um, and, and, and keep, keep, uh, keep the team together. And I think all that helped me, um, uh, like building up the, the, the Byton design team. Mm. Um, and also to switch then from a profit and loss responsibility to a cost center, mm -hmm. not earning any more money. Now you, you're supposed to just burn money and there's, this is the, the task now, yeah. but burn in a, uh, in a sustainable manner. Yeah. Um, also, it was a, quite a, a challenge for me. How is that? I mean, I find this a really interesting conversation because I can imagine everybody thinks we start this new this new studio, we have cash to burn, let's get something crazy going and like really cool stuff. Were you kind of the sensible voice in that in those kind of conversations with your background in the supply and say like, hold on a second, I think we can we can be more efficient here or like you know we can work on a much more sustainable basis. You know, did you did were these let's say conversations happening that you, you were being pushed back and just like, Oh, don't worry too much about the money. Let's just do it. Yeah, no, this never happened. Uh, and also, uh, definitely, um, that was heavily supported by Benoit mm. and that we, um, should be very careful with the spending of the precious investor money. Um, also, as I mentioned in 2016, it was not super clear yeah, when really the, the cash of the Aaron and the seed funding would really flow in. Um, so we had to, continue develop um ip uh, and uh, design property but uh, for example um we did not have uh, our own studio and um, we were renting uh, um, a studio in north of munich a, a, a very uh, a very small like kind of office style mm. and from from there on we we started to design a car it was all digital and supported a lot by by visualization and especially by vr mm. with goggles you can yep. see the car And then, um, uh, like by coincidence, we heard that um, an EDAC studio in uh, Ismaning uh, would be available to be taken over. And mm. uh, that was in uh, uh, like fall 2016. Mm. In the meantime, I think I had investigated with our office uh, manager, I think three uh, large buildings around Munich mm. to turn them into a design studio. 
And the costs were supposed to be refurbishment costs between 10 or 12 million US dollars. <laughs> so, and we from finance, we heard already, um, well, maybe no. <laughs> <laughs> and by coincidence, uh, EDAC uh, um, made it available that we could uh, move in. We took over some assets from, from EDAC, uh, be all the um, physical equipment into mm. that studio, milling machines, uh, clay plates, um, a paint booth. A f full steam uh, workshop mm. in a way, including a real, a real nice um, area for a design studio. You just mentioned money <laughs> and money is a very interesting conversation because, you know, there's, there's numbers floating around. If people Google how much does it cost to do a concept car and all these kind of things. When you started, and I remember because I was there um, when the first M byte concept came out it was a full runner so full running car battery was full power um and it was communicated to you and just like okay so this is what we want is it this is what we want and this is the money that you have available or is it this is what we want making it make it as cheap as possible oh well first of all i think um the show car also uh, was designed in a sustainable manner that we took over the later production design directly from the show car. And uh, this strategy did we developed very early. And that means um, a lot of uh, energy, external purchases, etc., that were um, used for the show car creation and creative process. We knew that is already part of uh, the budget for the production car. So the production car was done first and then you no, did the, no, the concept no. car. So the, the concept, concept car was first. Yes. Uh, in the course of time, uh, uh, we set a, cer a certain milestone where from then on uh, they would would split up. Mm -hmm. We finished the show uh, the show car, the concept car, and continued with the path of the production car uh, due to uh, pedestrian protection, etc. Yeah. Um, all the uh, standards. We found a company in England to really produce everything in aluminum sheet metal in terms of uh, exterior body panels. Uh, which is very challenging. It's, uh, it takes a lot of time. Mm. The tooling uh, takes longer. Um, you need to respect a uh, different uh, way of, uh, of course, constructing also uh, the parts mm -hmm. and has some limitations for the design even. Yeah. Um, this is how we did it. And we have two full runners mm -hmm. and they are even uh, high volt, uh, I think 400 horsepower. So Idenion and Ingolstadt um, put the whole project uh, together and conducted it. But um, as I mentioned, there were different suppliers uh, merged together. Mm. And um, yeah, we had then the first glimpse into the M-Byte uh, on CEST uh, 2018 uh, when we sh showed the first M-Byte concept. Mm. But if you compare the two cars now or production cars out uh, since uh, last year as well, 2019, there's only a few differences. Yeah. And the genetic code is almost identical. Almost, yeah, almost the same. Now... How do I have to imagine, like, you know, if I would sit with you in that kind of situation, so you come in or Carsten comes in and is like, guys, this is what I want and we want to have a full sheet metal car. Um, how do you plan this? Where, where, where do you start? Do you speak with Benoit first and ask him, like, look, from a timing perspective, we have, we want to present this as CX, so we reverse engineer the timeline and... Do you give him the time, how much he has to, let's say, have a sketch phase just for the concept car? Or does he say, hey, Oli, I need X amount of time? Um, 
And then you say, oh, that's too much unless we do these and these and kind of things. Because I know that you work a lot with Maya. Uh, of course, you've done a lot of the, the creative stuff. You've included uh, Imagine and Shape from Katia in this as well. Very quick speed, high high outcome you know, tools in that sense. So how do I have to imagine that? Is it just like, okay, we have so little time to do these kind of projects. We have to work with any tool available. Did you try to build a pipeline in kind of tools that you want to use or where do you start? I mean, there's, there's so many things coming together. It's so probably so difficult to start somewhere. Well, since we wanted to have um, the relationship between the show car and the later production car very close, we needed the production package, mm -hmm. but there was no R&D center. <laughs> so um, uh, we, we had some, some early um, body and white engineering And uh, we had to push very hard uh, to get that mature enough that we can justify uh, basing or starting a show car on that. The show car itself has no, not a production body in white, but at least the package is already very close. That later on, we wouldn't face too many changes mm. uh, regarding the production car. We had 12 months. Because uh, I can remember in uh, around airport Munich, uh, we were in some meeting rooms, uh, meeting already the um, the suppliers to discuss about the budget and the timeline and the circumstances of, of this uh, these this show car or these two full mm. runners. And at one time, we even thought about three mm. full runners, uh, quite extreme. Um, so uh, and the real project start was then, in, uh, I think January 2017. We were supposed to freeze the design uh, in spring and uh, w for the main surfaces we did, but uh, there were a lot of challenges also regarding the interior, mm. the fit and finish, etc. So, But due to the also uh, parallel production of several show cars, uh, we had to uh, see the timeline uh, being uh, in a staggered process uh, to get all the hardware then later on produced mm -hmm. with all the different suppliers, uh, different countries to produce and then all conducted. And um, so in CES, we had three show cars and um, static one within the CES, a full runner on a parking lot mm. and an additional inside out model, which was created in California. Mm -hmm. And that uh, idea was, or that was confirmed by the board, I think, in fall 2017. <laughs> so a few months before um, before the show, people would say our model only uh, for in three months is in general no problem. But if you do already two show cars in parallel and all the capacities are binded, then uh, flying over to California several times from here and uh, also check for the quality, uh, it was quite reckless. But I would imagine that through that process, moving on to the production M-byte, the K-byte, uh, of course, as well, you must have been just like, okay, so now we've done this kind of wrong or like we can work on this quite well. This is a process that works very well for us. So you must have learned a massive amount and the entire team that you've worked with must have learned so much that moving forward, it's almost like, you know, the biggest step is like, okay, we've done this first thing now, which is probably the hardest thing that we do. And now the problem is not about the next car it's more just like how much more complex and you know how much more experience can we bring into that car based on what we've learned i would assume especially with the production and k-byte i mean that's two projects parallel uh something that was then the next step up as well 
yeah, I challenged the team a lot. And um, also in 2017, we were still in the heavy recruiting phase. Yeah, mm. and the chart was heavily going up and many people still joined in the team. So it was a continuous growth of the team. You have to onboard people, explain everything. So that also uh, sucks capacity. But it, uh, the challenge binded the team together for the upcoming production project. The, we learned a lot as a team within the Showcar project. And th that helped a lot. And the many people of that time are still with us because we, we, we founded this family, yeah. this Biden family in, in 2017. I wouldn't really like to do that again. <laughs> uh, the whole, the whole like stress with all these three uh, show cars. And we would definitely do uh, things a bit different if we would do it again. Um, relevant was definitely our UX UI story, mm -hmm. our experience and the whole brand identity. And it was all so fresh. Mm. So. How is that general kind of communication? I mean, you know, with, with you and, and, and Benoit, you train designers. How do you communicate certain things that you say, mm, maybe let's not do that to the board level? Because those guys are not designers. And oftentimes they don't speak the language of designers. They speak the language of numbers. They speak the language of milestones. When you start out from scratch, how, how were they to you? I mean, you know, were they, did they come up to you and say like, you know, Benoit, do whatever you think is right. Or did they say, we want to see the thing every single day? How was that part of the communication? Because I, I, I remember in the very early ones, and we had obviously, we worked a lot with, with, uh, with um, the freelancers and the contractors just to kind of get the numbers up based on the work that was there. Um, it's, it's, it's always these kind of conversations. Okay, so why are we doing this? What's happening now? How, so how do you com communicate that upwards? So that they don't get the wrong impression in terms of what you do and that you're not trying to hold back, but you're actually trying to do everything that's, that's possible in that given time frame. I think this is a challenge that all design departments are facing that they have to explain their design to non-designers. Mm -hmm. And communication is key, like as always in a successful business. And we invested a lot of uh, time and energy in preparing We call it the summer head, uh, the big summer review of what we are doing at the moment in the design department. It's usually not only the production car at the current state. It's also um, some parallel uh, activities that uh, that are conducted. So it's really worth to get um, almost um, like all decision makers um, like to Ismaning mm -hmm. uh, or to somewhere else where we all meet and explain that. And then we have some, some around Christmas uh, design big review. Mm -hmm. And this is uh, like planned and very detailed and but also in a way that you would not leave it up to just by chance de uh, deciding something that the design team does not would not really favor. Mm -hmm. yeah? So uh, you would pre-select and then leave, of course, some choice, but only, of course, between uh, good proposals, mm -hmm. I would say. And also um, here, I think that's that counts for like I think all people at Biden. We all had to learn to work together as a team, and no one really did that exact same profession before at any other company. Especially also because we are still small at Biden, and in a startup you have to face many more. Uh, challenges. There's not hundreds and thousands of people that prepare everything uh, really in detail. You have to improvisate. And um, also, like the management team always um, had to decide ad hoc 
for example, how um, the current funding is and then mm. make some compromises. I think this is uh, what we still are facing. But I think that uh, that's also the reason why Biden still exists, yeah. because uh, we were smart enough to not stick dogmatic um, to maybe um, a strategy that we uh, that was valid three years ago. How do the people... I mean, you know, react to that when you tell them just like, you know, we have to adjust a little bit. We have to do things differently. Like, you know, nobody can do this job for you. Like, you know, we have to be, we have to do it ourselves. We don't have that person in-house as you might have at BMW, Mercedes or Volkswagen or something like that. I mean, did you, did you generally have the feeling that the people that joined Biden were these kind of guys that, you know, took issues in their own hands and tried to solve them or... Was there also some people that had to learn that, obviously, based on past experience, because this is something that hasn't really been, you know, that, that there was never really asked of them? Some uh, learned it. Some uh, couldn't, ne could never then cope with the situation mm. and left us. Mm. Uh, so this is all you always have to face a, a higher turnover in, in these ventures than a very big traditional OEM, I think, and and some brought that uh, already when they started at Biden uh, because they were foreseeing already or like they were maybe already educated and expecting this kind mm. of like um, unclear situations. Uh, what I, what I already have explained. So while recruiting, you really have to uh, watch out whom you recruit. And uh, often we took a bit more time uh, uh, or used some more interviews um, to really be sure that this person will fit. Because on the first glimpse, maybe the LinkedIn profile looks fantastic. Yeah. The first interview is fantastic. And the person tells you brilliant stories in the interview. But there's maybe there's maybe an aspect that you still find not so convincing. And although there's, uh, especially in this first year, a high pressure to hire as quick as possible, mm. And maybe there's even aggressive targets of fulfilling a certain number of people set by yourself within a department or by the top management, by the investors, mm. even in some companies, you should take yourself time because a uh, uh, result will be that maybe the team is not put together in an ideal manner. Uh, then you have um, frictions within the people or um, the frustration. So um, some people just simply cannot live with unclear situation regarding funding and financial situation mm -hmm. um, non-existing processes turns a lot of people mad who have maybe been too long in a very large entity mm -hmm. there's people who only want to join a startup because the salary is maybe a bit higher mm -hmm. try to avoid these people yeah. we probably pay a little higher than the average of large competitors But that should be not the convincing argument yeah, to really, really join. And uh, I think some people didn't really expect um, how difficult it is. What did you look for? In the, in, because you've mentioned fit. And I, I had, um, I think we actually had a, a conversation with Eric in the podcast about this as well, that the fit does not necessarily mean it's just the best person uh, for the job, but it's the best fit for what you're looking for. How do you... What, how do you find this best fit for for your team? Is it, uh, you know, do you have any kind of preference personally or what is it that you would say is, is someone that works in your team that they all have in common no matter where they come from? 
So um, what I mentioned already is the resilience. Mm. This this character aspect you should really feel uh, in the first minutes of the interview, and I specifically then really ask yeah, about mm. the uh, frustration level that they can survive. Mm. Mm. But then you have to see who is already in the team uh, and will this person fit into into the group. So all the different aspects of character is a, like um, different colors, probably, uh, as you can imagine. You have to have the perfect mix. Of course, the competence should be uh, should be high, but sometimes people who are still mid-experience or in the in between junior and mid-experience, something like that, uh, can also fit because they bring a lot of energy mm. um, and they can, for example, better adapt into the startup business. Mm -hmm. You need some real seniors, but then you have to watch out that they will not try to explain how everything uh, is at fantastic other companies. Mm. That's also important. Yeah? So everyone has to accept the special situation that um, that you are in as a startup and then act as a team. And you have to take time to pick the right person fitting. And sometimes we even um, have then other team members interview as a last kink um, this person, uh, do you think this can be your future colleague? If I were to ask you, we go back into 2016, but you have the knowledge that you have now. And let's say you would still come in as like, you know, the, the, the operations manager, like director for this position, but you'd also be an internal consultant in you know, running organizations, building organizations. What would you do differently and what would you keep the same? You mean within the design organization or in general at Byton? Uh, let's, let's actually start with the, with the design organization um, and then we can go a little bit bigger. But if you, if you get the same job again, you know, and you would be asked like, Oli, we want you to be the consultant and like, how can we build this? in that situation, what would you do? I mean, what would you take away from the experience that you had? And again, that was actually a good kind of way. What would you change? And maybe what would you not do again? I think, and to be honest, I would do most of the things uh, in almost the same manner. I, I cannot really see that we burned uh, useless money in, in certain areas mm. uh, in terms of investment in, let's say, IT structure or software um, tools um, or Uh, other expenses um, also like in, in terms of people i think uh, most of our picks and, and hirings were were really sustainable and so and also uh, i would always recommend to to do this kind of uh, process i would do it always again with the quite high level of using virtual reality mm. digital um, design and digital modeling a lot of polygon modeling for form finding in the earlier stage I think uh, I think that's uh, that's a good recipe mm. uh, to do again. Uh, in general, it's very challenging to uh, to work with uh, global um, other sites uh, in terms of three continents. Mm -hmm. uh, th this is almost impossible to have phone conference call with all the three continents because our R and D center is in Santa Clara, in California, and the uh, Biden headquarters in Nanjing. Mm. That's very challenging. Um, the communication is, is really lacking. I mean, theoretically, we work 24 uh, hours around the clock, but um, the reality is uh, difficult to overhand a specific item or, or file or task yeah, really seamlessly to someone else. It works quite well with um, our um, design department in Shanghai. 
where really, um, especially in the digital design, um, several people work really on the same project mm -hmm. and sometimes even on the same part. Um, so this, this you can control. And on the bigger level, I mean, you've mentioned already that having three locations is, of course, problematic. I personally would even go it's too much at the same time for one project. If you would go back even further and be in the position of, let's say, being hired alongside Benoit, and you know they ask you the questions like, okay, so let's build this design organization really from the first management meeting, I'm not saying on the founders level, but on the first big management meeting, and you would have something to say on the entire organization, what would you have done different there? If you have experienced people from big industries and um, very large entities, um, as I mentioned earlier, no one in, uh, in our team had real startup experience. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it is a special beast, especially to um, have this kind of jumpstart startup. It's not a bootstrap where you can have maybe some, some time to develop the business from a small entity into very, something very large. And you just leave it up to um, the, the business development, how quick you grow. Mm -hmm. it, uh, if you've found an automotive OEM, From scratch, you always have to think in, in, in a, it's a multi-million dollar business and you need always hundreds, of, if not thousands of people to conduct that. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the amount of cash burning rate is, is immense. Mm -hmm. It takes time yeah, to mature an organization, to really build the organization. And for example, to get your IT processes right, the completely underestimated subject, I think is always in this large entity you need it processes maybe um, like a very very large company even if it's only 1500 people but it's very expensive to have that mm -hmm. for example yeah um, you could maybe have someone who already started um, a startup business in, in that kind of scale but that's hard to find because i, I think beasts like byton and and a, and a few others are real new ventures and and that type yeah mm. we are used for also from california a lot of bootstrap startups this kind of super large scale including the complexity of a, a globalized company immediately almost no one did before mm. under these circumstances i think our management team and Daniel kircher did it really well one last question before we go to the big three questions that everybody gets uh on the pod would you say The Byton Design Department is more run like an OEM department or more like a supplier department? Definitely more like an agency. Yeah. This is our, our approach. At the moment, we um, also cater a lot of non-typical design um, activities like creating a lot of marketing material, be it um, renderings, but yeah. Even um, animations, VR, building the car configurator, the Byton visualizer, supporting um, content creation for the Byton places, the Byton stores. That's what you would usually commission um, at uh, external agencies. Mm -hmm. And our marketing department is closely working together with the design department and is going shopping. <laughs> um, also, though, the way how we structure the budget uh, and have a sustainable um, HR planning mm -hmm. is, is more like an agency uh, where you really have to see how you can cope with a, a, a stable team over the next 12 months. And the sky is maybe the limit, but uh, in, in such a venture, you should always uh, be realistic. Hey, one more question about this. How is it, if you have this agency feeling, 
direction for the design department. How does Benoit feel about this? I mean, he comes from a BMW background, Renault background, Volkswagen background, has always been in these massive organizations. How is it, you know, for him, is it a, a liberating process to work in this kind of completely new environment? Um, <coughs> does he sometimes, or, you know, not struggle, but does, does the OEM side sometimes come out of him? Or like, you know, how 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 is that with him? Because you are used to that. I mean, you know, you used to work in a supplier background. You used to be, to know, you know, you know how to be flexible in these kind of projects. But a lot of people, what you've mentioned coming from an OEM background, that can be difficult. But I can imagine him actually loving it, uh, you know, and loving life about this. Well, uh, Benoit has a lot of entrepreneur spirit. Mm. Um, and uh, I did never have the impression that uh, it's hard for him to adapt from prior positions that uh, he had uh, in very large entities um, in, in this very small uh, design department. And I think he takes the, uh, my impression, the best out of all worlds, yeah? because uh, sometimes um, you, you need to be very precise and also you need to stick to, to certain processes. And it's good that um, you try to bring some of the stable processes out of a, a large organization into a startup. And sometimes you must be really flexible And creative uh, to find solutions and not be dogmatic and, and stick to your own um, role model, maybe. And uh, it's running perfectly. And um, I think everyone sees that and trusts him in the way how he's managing as a VP or senior VP uh, in the design department. Mm. All right. Three questions. Everybody gets these questions. Keep them brief as an answer, but you're get a bit of flexibility on those ones. Yeah. Question number one, who's the most influential designer and or person that you have directly worked with? And influential, obviously, to you. Yeah. So it doesn't need to be, you know, somebody that is generally just an influence to everybody, but to you specifically. I would say Chris Banger, mm -hmm. who hired me at, uh, at BMW when I just came from Pforzheim, graduated. And uh, I remember uh, quite a lot of meetings with him. Um, they were always uh, challenging the general opinion in the room. And uh, people were kind of even leaving confused. What should they take out of that? And uh, this uh, lit a spark uh, in the creativity of the team. And uh, that was very impressive. It was a good time. You, I think, you know... Chris comes always comes up in, in the most influential ones. I think Jujaro is on there quite regularly. But uh, to all the listeners, we obviously had an episode with Chris Bangle. So if you have not listened to that, uh, give it a try and uh, see why all these you know influential people in the car design industry think uh, Chris Bangle is one of the best ones they've ever worked with. So uh, very happy. And uh, thanks again to Chris for taking the time in recording that podcast with us some time ago. Now, Oli, number two, which project you did not work on would you have loved to actually work on? Maybe some SpaceX rockets. <laughs> <laughs> think so, yeah. Yeah. Because if something seems to be more challenging than what we do is then definitely rocket science, I would say. Literally. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. In a different manner, because aesthetics are maybe not so important, mm -hmm. but uh, the complexity is uh, immense. And SpaceX rockets or more like NASA projects? Yeah, but I think SpaceX is the hottest shit at the moment <laughs> on the planet. And uh, <coughs> what they conducted made it with uh, much less funding than NASA. Mm. Number three, 
This is my favorite one all the time. If I would give you any money in the world, no budgets, anything that you have to worry about, which car would you buy? Only one. I think a Ferrari F40. <laughs> my dream car of my youth. Yeah. And uh, it, it's still so cool to look at, to hear the noise and the sound and the rawness. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. F40. F40 it is. All right. Then your phone slash your, your watch is ringing. So, uh, Oliver, thank you very much for joining us on this episode. Uh, it's been a pleasure with you. I hope uh, all of the listeners had you know, some opportunity to learn something from your experience as well. Very special in this industry. And to all the listeners, thanks for joining us once again on a special episode. Uh, make sure you subscribe to us on either iTunes, Spotify, whatever you can find. If you're on iTunes, make sure you give us a five-star rating. Always gives us a little bit of a boost within the uh, rankings that we're in. And of course, if you want to follow us on social media, you can follow uh, the Gestalten Podcast on at Concept House on Twitter and on Instagram and also at LinkedIn. And uh, in the meantime, we will make sure to prepare another special episode within, with someone else very soon. But thanks for listening again and you will hear from us very soon. Thank you, Martin. Thanks, Oli.